What's going on, Velocity Church? Thank you so much for being with us, whether you're watching from home at a watch party with some friends. On behalf of Pastor Justin and Marissa, I just want to say thank you for taking a chance on us, and this is home. And if you don't know me, my name is Nate, and I'm the next-gen director here at Velocity Church. I'm actually coming up on a year of being on the team, and it's been so much fun. Uh, now, many of you guys could be wondering what next-gen really is. Right. And uh, so basically, I get the privilege of working with an amazing team of leaders to create the best experience for our kids, for our students and for our young adults. And uh, I just want to take a couple seconds to highlight each area. First of all, our kids. We love our kids here at Velocity Church. Our kids, as a matter of fact, has already started to meet uh, back up to talk about what opening back our kids' experience in person is going to look like. Uh, but not only that, Miss Kirsten and Miss Ember have been working a lot. They've been working so hard to provide top-of-the-line experience for you. I seriously have never seen anything like it. Like I told them, literally, we should start charging people for how good these kids' experiences are. Uh, so make sure you guys check those out, ivl.city slash kids. And uh, next up, man, our students. I absolutely love, love, love our students here at Velocity. And a matter of fact, for the summer, we have about eight student leaders that are actually working on a project aiming to address the racial tension that we have in America. So it's heavy stuff. Uh, but these student leaders stepped up to the challenge, and all of them are from different backgrounds. Uh, they've grown up from, with different experiences, and they're just getting together to ask each other questions, uh, to do engaging activities that will force them to explore each other's experiences. And they're documenting all of that for us to see. So I'm excited to see what they're going to come up with. And last but definitely not least, our young adults. Man, oh man, some of our most active leaders here at Velocity Church are part of our young adult uh, leadership group. And these guys are just young leaders who have stepped up and said that, man, there is purpose and there is joy in being plugged in and serving in the local church. And they're making such a big, big, big difference. And I love those guys. Uh, now, I love all those areas, but man, let's get started with the message, shall we? We're in this series called Naked and Unafraid. And if I can be honest, that is probably one of my favorite series. And I'm probably going to say that about each and every single series that we have. Probably my favorite, right? And uh, the reason why this one's probably one of my favorite is because it hits home for me personally. Uh, if I'm to be honest with you, vulnerability is not really my strong suit. Uh, I do really well at asking people a lot of questions, uh, but by the time people are finishing a conversation with me, they've realized that they didn't hear a thing about me, right? Because vulnerability is just not my big thing. So I've loved uh, this series. And uh, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about how to live a big, expensive, and open life. Uh, but this week, we're jumping into the big C word, criticism. You see, what stops people from living naked and unafraid lives is often the fear of what others will say about them. And to be honest, that fear is pretty legitimate. I mean, everyone has an option. Everyone's a critic. I mean, even as I was writing this message, I was receiving feedback from Pastor Justin, and he had an opinion on my message. And people typically say that you shouldn't care about what others think. But if I could tell you, sometimes that's not entirely true. Uh, I could tell you about one of the earliest conversations I actually had with my girlfriend. I asked her this question. I said, 
hey, would you tell me if my breath smells bad? You see, that's a very important question for me because I can't date somebody uh, who would not give me honest feedback and let me walk around with stinky breath, right? I talk to a lot of people, so I don't have stinky breath. So honesty is good, okay? So what I'm trying to get to is that the words criticism, feedback, critique, all get lumped to the same field. But the number one thing you gotta do, the number one thing you gotta do is know the difference between criticism and critique. See, one is good and one is bad. Uh, critique, that word, there are whole jobs based on being a critic, right? I mean, producers and actors put their art out there, they put their movie out there, knowing that there will be people paid to dissect and pick apart every piece of their work and give an opinion about it. Uh, once a theater critic named Albert Williams was asked why film and theater critics do what they do, and he said this, critics believe the creators of the art really want feedback of any kind. They see their role as a teacher, and teachers challenge the material that they're discussing, right? They see themselves as reporters, boosters, and skeptics, all to create better art. Meaning this, critics do what they do because they genuinely want to see improvement in their field. They want to see growth, right? But if uh, we really are to be honest with ourselves, do we see critique as a positive or negative things? Like, do we really view critics in our lives the same way that theater critics view their field? Do we see the people that voice their opinion about us as trying to create a better art in the form of a better version of ourselves? When we think of criticism, do we genuinely think that it's people wanting to see us get better? Odds are, probably not. Matter of fact, right away, when you think of criticism or critique, you start thinking about all the times that somebody that probably didn't even know you had a thought about you to define your character or your motive. Or you thought about all the people that talk down to you or the people whom you can never do any right in their eyes, right? I'll always be the lazy employee. I'll always be uh, the wife that just can't get it right. I'll always be the husband that blows up, whatever it is, right? And as your next-gen leader, parents, I got to tell you that it is of utmost important that you engage in trying to get this fight right. See, many families get caught up in this vicious cycle of unhealthy interaction. Criticism and punishment leads to anger and defiance and withdrawal from the kids, which leads to more criticism and then more defiance and withdrawal from the kids. And then as the cycle goes on, parents feel more justified in their criticism and disapproval. And then kids, for their part, feel more justified in their resentment and defiance. It goes something like this. Parents say, he never listens. And then the kid says, all I hear is criticism. All they ever do is yell at me. See, the child hears criticism, not critique, but criticism. But critique is the method used by a qualified person who will observe someone or the work they do so that they can help them be better and do better. See, we all benefit from critique. In the scriptures that we're going to look at today, it's in an effort to describe the relationship between two biblical characters who understood this and got this right. Okay, so the first one, first character that we look at is the Apostle Paul. If you don't know him, it's, he's attributed to writing 13 out of 27 of the books in the New Testament. He was martyred for his faith in Christ by the Romans. He was the first major missionary to preach the Christian gospel to non-Jewish people. Now, in his second missionary journey, 
Paul picks up this young buck, this young guy named Timothy, who goes along with him and assists him and almost serves as an apprentice under Paul. Paul basically served as a spiritual father to Timothy. He equipped him for the task of ministry, empowered him for success, and then employed him for effectiveness. So you could see kind of Paul playing a fatherly role to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul addresses him as my true son in the faith. And if I could tell you, you need people in your life that will critique you. It's a good thing. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 is filled with instructions and critiques from Paul to Timothy. You see, Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus at the time, and Paul wanted to give him the best practice on how to lead well and how to be a great Christ follower. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy in many ways and critiquing him and giving him guidance. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Have nothing to do with godless myth and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all the things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, for a second, picture with me here as you're reading this letter. It's basically like a coach to an athlete, as a father to a son. I just imagine Paul as a loving coach giving critique to Timothy. He says this in verse 11. It says, command and teach these things. Timothy, I've spent some time around you. I understand and know your fears. I got a feel for your insecurities that you might be facing. But, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, my son Timothy, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So this is Paul as a coach, as a father, talking to Timothy and says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, my son. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See? In today's culture, I could imagine Timothy saying this, I get it, Dad, I get it. This could sound so annoying and repetitive, right? But this was a healthy relationship that Paul had with Timothy that would guide him and help him be successful, not just as a leader, but as a Christ follower. He gave him specific instructions. He told him what to do, what to be aware of. Paul provided healthy critique to Timothy. Critique is a good thing. Who do you have in your life that will do that for you? It shocks me at how many people do not put effort into looking for people who will pour into their lives and mentor them. The truth is that if you're fortunate enough to have people in your life who are qualified to critique you, those people's input is worth listening to even when it hurts to hear it. And if you're watching this, I bet you've been on both ends of the bad side of critique slash criticism, right? I've bet you've been the one who's been wrongly criticized or you've been the one to do the wrongly criticizing somebody else. But listen, there's hope for both of us, whatever side you're on, in the love of Jesus Christ. I wanna give you some adjectives to help you understand the difference between criticism and critique. You see, criticism condemns. It's an accuser. It's designed to bring you down. It complains, it's hurtful, and it magnifies the negative in people around it. 
but a few words to describe critique. It's patient. It's kind. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You probably already recognize this, but actually just took some words from 1 Corinthians 13 that are used to describe love. You see, ultimately, critique has to come from love. When you truly and deeply love others, the words coming from your mouth will not be constantly trying to point out the fault in others, but it'll be used to build others up. It'll be used to build the church up. Having people in your life that will critique you is important. But we're too busy opening ourselves up to the wrong kind of criticisms that we don't know how to look for the right critiques. We got too many people opening themselves up to the whole world, posting their whole lives on social media for people that don't care about them to have a voice on their life rather than looking for intimate, wise, few voices that'll provide healthy critique. For our young adult leadership group this past week, uh, it was so fun. We've been going through this book called Welcome to Adulting. And every week, we've been interviewing older and wiser couples that have been doing this thing called life a little bit longer than we have, right? And uh, last week, we interviewed this one couple, uh, Steve and Caroline. They own JNS Coffee Shop in Lawrence, and the topic was dating. We talked about, man, how do you know if you're dating the right person? How do you get this thing right? And uh, Steve said this. When big things come up, I have a board of directors in my life that will love me, pray for me, and I allow them to have a voice into the things that I'm going to do. In other words, I need a circle around me that will critique the decisions I have. See, critique is a good thing. Get people in your life that will not criticize you, but that will critique you. And we should all engage in doing that, which leads me to my second point. You can stand strong with a clear conscience. We spent a lot of time talking about having others in our lives and having the right voices in our lives. I'll point out the things that we need to improve. But remember this, ultimately, there's one voice that matters above all else. The problem with society is that we face uh, a lot of identity issues. Our identity is tied to what other people think about us. And you might be the one who says, I don't care what others think about me. But if you're honest, you probably say that in an effort to portray yourself as someone who doesn't care about what others think about them so that you will appear strong, confident, and bold, which in return makes you like the rest of us who struggle with caring too much about what other people think about us. If I can be honest with you, I struggle with that myself too. As I'm teaching this message to you, I wish that I could say that I've arrived to the point that I don't care about what anybody says about this message, right? But truth is, deep down inside, I might be. I wish that I could say that if you emailed, if you emailed me and told me that you didn't like my message and I had poor delivery, that I wouldn't care because I'm doing it solely and solely for Christ and what you say doesn't matter. But I'm human, and although I've made some progress on rooting my identity in Christ, and not man, I still struggle with walking into a room and putting way too much thought about how I'll look to other people around me. But it's a fight that you and I can win. Be so focused on your relationship with God and keeping a clear conscience before God and man that you can be confident against any criticism that comes your way. To push back against criticism, you have to have an understanding of your calling where your only critic is Christ. 
where he's the voice that matters, where his feedback weighs the most. It's what we find in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 23 from Paul. Just another moment when he was in chains and in prison and then told to state his case before religious leaders. His first response was this in Acts chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. What I learned from Paul is that he was so focused on his standing before God that he was not intimidated nor much affected by what the critics thought about him. He stood with confidence and conviction in his calling and had a clear conscience before God and the critics. Another story about a hero in the faith is one of Polycarp. Uh, let me set up a scenario for you. It was, it's like a scene straight out of Gladiator. The 86-year-old bishop of Myrna was dragged into the Colosseum, which is an oval amphitheater in the center of the city of Rome, held about 50 to 80,000 spectators. His name was Polycarp. The critics and murderers told him, recant your faith in Christ. Give up. But he refused. This man is crazy, the crowd and critics probably thought. Why die for this? Polycarp said this, 86 years I've served them and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And then the crowd chanted, let loose the lions. But the Roman proconsul chose death by fire instead. And then as the fire was lit around Polycarp, he prayed one last prayer. I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. See, the flames engulfed him, but they did not consume him. So the Roman soldier stabbed them through the flames. Polycarp bled out, but not before he lived out the exhortation from John to the church that Polycarp pastored, which said, do not fear of the critics, but be faithful to the end. And he was. He died fearlessly and faithfully. See, Polycarp and Paul understood something that I long and pray to understand daily. It's this. God has not sent condemnation. He sent salvation. How did Paul and Polycarp have such courage to live free from what others thought of them and how they lived? How did they live free from the critics? Because that's what we're after, right? How do I overcome the voice, the negative voices of criticism around me or of the critics? Paul and Polycarp realized that all our world is built in such a way that nothing you do will ever be enough for the critics. A lot of them, their agenda is condemnation and accusation. But what gave Paul and Polycarp confidence to stand firm with confidence before their critics was that nothing that they did nor accomplished. It wasn't their credentials. They understood that freedom to be and to love and salvation only comes from Jesus. The validation that they were seeking was not from critics nor from anybody, it was from Christ. So I'm not looking to the government for that freedom. I'm not looking to even my closest friends for that freedom to just be. And I'm not even looking to the critics for that freedom. I'm not looking to anybody. I'm looking to God for his validation. They took priority in accepting and basing their identity upon the finished work of Christ. Uh, Mr. Critic, my conscience is clear before my God, so it doesn't matter what you say or think about me. Uh, Mr. Critic, I've served my risen king for 86 years now, so this is not open for debate based on what you think of my life. He's got the final say. Critics, you, 
they live to condemn you, but my king died to save you. Theodore Roosevelt said this, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong the man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You see, my mind can often become this place that's filled with a crowd of critics whom their thoughts can sometimes just imprison my every move and hold it captive. But like Polycarp and Paul, I pray that we would build up the spiritual stamina that says my judge is my God, my critic is Christ. So like David, I'm overfilled with joy and I will dance in the streets. I'll become even more indignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. That's what we're chasing after. We're chasing after freedom to just be, freedom to just love. Maybe you're watching this today and you're tired of living according to the voices of unfair criticism. You're tired of trying to live up to everyone else's expectation around you. You're tired of carrying that burden. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Give your life to Jesus today and live free from the unfair voices of the critics. And if that's you and you want to make that decision today to live for a new purpose, for new life, for the voice of Jesus and Jesus alone, I challenge you to pray this with me. It's the best decision you could ever make in your life. God, I'm tired of living for other people. I'm tired of living for unfair criticism. I'm tired of listening to the voices around me that just put me down that make me feel as if I'm not enough. God, I'm chasing the freedom to just be and to live freely. I want to give my life to you today, Jesus. I want to live for you where your voice is the one that matters most. So God, forgive me of my sin and give me a clean and new heart to give my life completely over to you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.